Good evening, Patriots, and it's Sunday, May 21st in the year 2023. Been an interesting weekend, and a rather intense one, I'll say. And it's going to reflect a little bit in tonight's show. I was over today speaking at a revival in Bandon, Oregon. And um, it's an eye-opener when you start to get testimonies of people that are, the work that they're doing for kingdom, what they've been through, and what this world is continuing to push. It's time we're going to have to start making some hard decisions on how we want our future to be, and that time is running very short, and that's the truth. One thing I can say very honestly, at least I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. You know where to check it out, Patriots, MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com, the best pillows, the best sheets, the best everything, and it's the place to head over to to get everything you need for a great night's sleep. I believe in it. It's a fantastic product, so do check it out. MyPillow.com. Let's have Mike Lindell give us a little message. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The MyPillow guy. And you're looking good. He's still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, MyPillow 2.0. 
When I invented my pill, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My Pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My Pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of My Pillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a My Pillow or not, you need to get the brand new My Pillow 2.0. Call or go to mypillow.com now. Use your promo code and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better and cooler too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit mypillow.com. So that's mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards. It truly is a great pillow. The 2.0 is like off the charts. I'm very serious. I never thought I would be a guy like telling you great pillows are real, but they are. It is such a thing. And mypillow 2.0 is it. Today, I um, actually went over last night to Bandon, Oregon, really nice um, setup, really good festival. It's called the Faith Fest. Very impressive to how well they treated everybody, how well they treated the speakers. They had, um, all the speakers had their rooms ready for them, walked in, they had nice gift bags for everybody. It was really very impressive. And a lot of it, what's really more impressive than that is that so much of the effort wasn't out of cash. It was out of donations and community effort to make it happen, which put a lot of ownership and a lot of really a lot of love in everything they did. The whole idea really of Faith Fest was to bring that power of the Holy Spirit into people's lives, which is it should be. And there's a lot of conversations it had, as you would expect, I'm probably the um, odd cat out when I start talking about that. And that isn't because I seek to be, it's because the way that God has me walking, it's just not in the normal place of what a lot of the message is within the church. There's very little message today that was conventional church. Most everybody you heard from today or people heard from were successful because they were outside the church. They were beyond the dead stone walls. They weren't hanging out in churches. They were out in the streets doing things. There was a guy that spoke. He he opened and then he closed. He's from Ethiopia and has witnessed the totalitarian regimes there and has been called to come to America now to to speak and to wake people up all in the name of Jesus. And he's a firebrand. You had speakers there today that one, Paul Cantrell, who's a friend of mine, um, lives in Portland. I've mentioned him before, and I'm hoping to get a testimony from him for Bards Fest. He had been a, a drug trafficker in his life, came to Jesus. And then when COVID hit, his wife was in the hospital and he used the skills that he had learned as, when he was in dealing drugs to smuggle ivermectin into her as they were about ready to give her iver or redemsevir. He saved her life. And then he used his contacts of old to get ivermectin for people and then to provide them with ivermectin and teach them how to get past hospital security 
and he ended up saving like 65 people's lives. No small event. Really awesome. You have um, a team there that was very powerful. They were they do on-the-ground ministry for homeless. And these guys are all, all of them have done hard time for various things, been through some really tough times, and just literally um, get out there in the homeless camps and just work it. One guy works directly with cartels. There's some real, there's a, and brings people to Jesus. That's pretty powerful. You've got um, another group that I was really happy. They threw in right at the last moment, just and they were and they were, went right before me, and their whole focus is on human sex trafficking in this Northwest Corridor, which is the worst in the nation. We had a judge speak about the lawlessness of our state, which is just another indication of what things are going on on a broader level. And then you had me. And <laughs> I, I think my message was probably a little more aggressive, might, one might say. Um, here's, the, here's, let me preface this a minute. I know there's a lot of talk right now. People will be talking about red states and how their state's doing one thing or another. And I keep telling you this, and I'm very, very serious what I'm going to say. There are no politicians that you can trust. They may be on a team that seems more to your liking than another team. But at the end of the day, they will sell you out on a dime if they think they can make a personal gain out of it. And that isn't 100%, but I'm going to tell you that's a lot of them. I met one from Oregon today. And, you know, it's just he's they're doing the right thing, but this dude is such a pasty politician. It felt like I had to go sanitize my hand with gasoline and fire after he shook it. They're just, they're, they're just turned into these sleazebags. And they, they're so focused on trying to get a vote that they just become slime bags. So I just I tell you that because what's going on in Oregon right now is an extreme level is what is going on is going to be heading towards the entire nation. And Oregon, California, and Washington are all working together. And it's a very sick picture that we're dealing with right now. And it became extremely clear today listening to all these testimonies. So I'll talk about what I got, what I talked about in a minute, but I want to share with you what happened after my talk first. So I finished my talk and then I stepped off stage. A lot of people, it was very well received. And a woman came up to me and grabbed my hand and said, thank you for what you said today. And she said, but I need your help. And I couldn't, we were pretty close to the stage. So I said, let's move aside. Let's see what you got. She goes, and she started to cry. And I pulled her off to the side. I said, what happened? She said, I just lost my 24-year-old son to fentanyl. She says, Scott, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get rid of my hatred for those that did that to him. 
I want to tell you something, patriots. When God puts you in a place of having to pray for somebody that's lost their son to something like that, and they're asking in the most amazing way not to have hatred for those who did it, my heart is open. And it's humbling when a mother is trying to find a way through hatred simply because she wants her son back. But she knows who did it. Here's my words that will kind of frame tonight's talk. I prayed. We prayed for her like I would pray for anybody. I declared healing over her heart. I asked Jesus to help her heal her heart. I pray with honesty when I pray. You know me. I can't take back. I can't bring back her son. I can't fix that wound. But we can pray for that to heal the pain. I gave her a word that was put on my heart. God told me to share with her that she, as she moves through this, that she can become a powerful voice if she chooses to speak against fentanyl, to help others that are in crisis or heading down that path to hopefully save a child in honor of what she lost. But I also told her, and these are easy words for me to say because you're the one walking this path and carry this pain of the loss of your son. But I said, that's not by design of God. That's the consequences of a world influenced too heavily by the father of lies. And she said, I'm not walking away from God, Scott. She says, I just, I need to get past my hatred. I said, well, I said, this is what I'm going to tell you. What you really need to get past is your conditioning that says you can't tell God how angry and how much hatred you have. I'm really kind of at my wit's end of weak and worthless pulpits. I'm at my wit's end of this Christianese crap that we keep telling people of a way they have to literally think and be and can't be honest with our Father. I'm at my wit's end of this conditioned way we have to speak because somehow it's going to offend somebody's ears because apparently we're supposed to go to hell if we speak our heart. Because I'm going to tell you, I have proven in my path that is an absolute lie. We need to be honest with Father. And when we hurt, we need to let him know how much we hurt. He knows our heart, but he needs to hear it from us. And you know what? The only thing that does is build a closer relationship. The problem is that we get shaped so much by a very moderated and to many ways sold out way of present presenting scripture to people. Everything is about peace at any cost. That means we must temper our, our tongue. We must be careful what we say. We must walk delicately. We do it here on this channel. Don't even say we don't. And yet, to understand that the Holy Spirit is also passionate. And that there is a and there is an, a rage going on in heaven right now. Children are dying. And as a society, we're walking around literally with our head up our tailpipe. 
This is a 24-year-old child that was killed by fentanyl. Let's be clear what that means. The border that is open in our southern border, it is wide open that not a single congressman is moving to seal. Not a single politician in this country is fighting to get it sealed, other than maybe the local county officials down in Texas, Arizona, and maybe in California. And Texas is the great illusion because they're trying to provoke the fight there so they can continue siphoning the cartel slaves up the I-5 corridor. But fentanyl is pouring in. And the reports that I got today from people on the street doing the work is that fentanyl is going into everything. It's going into the heroin. It's going into the cocaine. It's going into the meth. And it's going into the marijuana. They are on an all-out war to highly addict or destroy the youth. And people just don't get the magnitude of the war that we're in right now. This has been a, an interesting weekend. I spent Saturday, the blessed day, with Brad and Kelly up at the ranch. We had a wonderful close of their visit, going down and checking out the bees and watching perfection, literally. Uh, watching the bees after less than two weeks having built the most amazing honeycomb, perfect in structure, a, a queen bee that's active in laying new brood and to building out a hive, a hive that's active and doing its job. A perfect example of how God creates perfection in all things. And then Saturday afternoon, after Brad and Kelly left, I grabbed my things and I drove over to Bandon. And as I drove this path, because leaving Roseburg, you go down to Winston, uh, Winston and then a from Winston, you drive out on the highway over towards Coquille and then take a little side road and it takes you down to Bandon. And Bandon's a really, it's like a two-lane windy road to finally get in there of 17 miles of crazy, very narrow drive. And Bandon's a wonderful community over on the ocean. It's beautiful, beautiful. It's just typical Oregon coast gorgeous. And the whole area out there is beautiful. But this is what I realized is I have not taken that trip on that road I've been to Bandon, but I've gone different ways, but I have not been that route for probably close to 40 years. And it was a walk down memory lane for me. Small towns, Coquille, Myrtle Point, places that I've used to wrestle against or travel to when I was in high school. Seeing them now from a completely different lens, towns that were vibrant, small logging communities that were doing very well, broken, shattered, just a shadow of what they used to be. And the one thing that's prevalent through all that region, drugs, drugs. Drugs in the high schools, drugs in the streets. It's there, it's, it's not escapable. Meth is the number one problem, but now fentanyl is replacing that problem. And the addict seeking the high is not going to get it. Once they get hooked on meth, as the statistics were shared today, it's a 98.3% of the people that take meth two times are hooked for life. And there's less than a 1% chance of anybody that's been hooked on meth to recover from meth. And we're not even getting into fentanyl yet. 
our society is being gutted. And they're waging a war against children on many levels. They wage the war against them with the shot. And there's some new discussion going around, not only that the shot causes a degeneration of the brain capabilities, but now there's discussion that the shot may in fact be affecting their reproductive system to a level that reduces or eliminates the desire to be with somebody else. That's a nice way of ensuring lack of population growth. Then you have the war on gender to try to mutilate or confuse people to such a degree that children are hybridized into a new gender of choice model in society. And then you have the cartels and the Chinese triads moving fentanyl into this area to literally hook in addiction or destroy what's left of this culture. The war is on the West Coast. The war is where this the, it is raging. It's coming from the border. It's coming from, from the Chinese, primarily those two cartels and Chinese. And patriots, I'm going to be honest with what I'm going to say. If they win the West Coast, this country will not survive. Do not underestimate what I just said. Oregon is always this one that people turn to, or California. Oh, you bunch of liberals out there. You have no idea if you are one that says that what you are saying. I'm talking to people in this town that are good conservative people. They're God-fearing people, God-Jesus-loving people. But their, their societies are broken. Their communities are trying, they're desperate. They're just trying to get by. And it's been by design over years of this, of slowly eroding away rights, people moving out to find jobs somewhere else. And what's left there are the people that have endured and to fight. But the war is raging and it's getting worse. So I prayed a lot on what I was going to speak about. And God led me right where I needed to be. I strapped on my 45, my 1911, and I open carried and I walked onto stage. And here's the message I want you to hear, because this was a message led by the Holy Spirit. It begins with Matthew 11:12. From the days of John the Baptist until the kingdom of heaven's until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. This is the time that we're now in. And we are in a place, we are behind enemy lines in a time when the church has become prostituted to this idea of peace at any cost. There's a comfort in sitting in the pew for people to say, well, we can pray on it, but they don't want to take those prayers to the street and declare their authorities, which heaven asks us and tells us to do, that we have those authorities. But that's harder work. It's easier to sit on the side as a whole than it is to get out there and push the Holy Spirit. 
Now, when we began today's talk, I asked everybody to stand up. We'd gone through a whole day, and I asked everybody to stand up and introduce themselves to each other, and they did. They were very, it was amazing to watch. People suddenly turned to each other and started talking and communicating and sharing and shaking hands and hugging. It was beautiful. And after they did that a little bit, I asked them to sit down. And again, all Holy Spirit led. And I said, now I'm glad you just got introduced to your fellow soldier. Because you're all in the army of Christ and we're all on the front lines. God does not care what you look like. God does not care whether you're overweight, underweight, whether you're super fit or not. What God is looking for are those that have the heart of kingdom and heart of willing to fight in this time because it's the hearts that make the difference. Everybody has a mission before them. Every one of you, every one of us has a calling. The question is, will you answer the call? And I've said this so many times, but this is the importance of the body of Christ. We sat today and listened to the testimonies of the people that had been through great suffering in their lives. Addicts that had lived on the street that now came back to be healed through Jesus and then go back to the streets to administer, to minister to those that are homeless. People that had been child sex trafficked that now turned that love in Christ where they were able to get through their pain to turn around and bring that ministry to wake people up about the realities of child grooming, sex grooming, and child sex trafficking. People in all sorts of forms of being broken in their lives, restored in the body of Christ and stored in their love of Christ to be called to missions. And I said I was the oddball out. Well, I am because my calling is different than theirs. But here's the beauty. Though I am the oddball out, there's always an understanding in this It's within the body of Christ. We are all different. There has to be an understanding that as we go forward, you have to know what you're fighting against and what you're willing to sacrifice. Now, part of this message I'm going to share here, I shared a bit last week, but a little bit more refined. I said I walked up on stage with my open carry. And it's more than just the presence of a metaphor-wise, the sword. It's a statement. And the statement goes like this. To begin with, our rights are given to us by Father God. It is he says, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is given to us by our Creator. There is no discussion that our founding fathers saw our Creator as their love in Jesus and Jesus to the Father. That is not disputable unless you want to listen to leftist literature and buy into this nonsense that they were Masons and somehow trying to set up the world. That narrative happened for different reasons. We've talked about it. We'll get into it later another time. Our father, our founding fathers, to the most part, were in love of Christ. Most were against the church because the church was the institution which was causing either the damage in society or waging wars. And they did not see that as the path of Jesus. So that means in following this and that framework of moral law, our constitution now, which becomes the human form of law and our, dec- and our bill of rights, that means all of that from the top down becomes a gift from God. And of course, one of the discussions that came up today was, 
the conflict of carrying a gun when Jesus said to love. Jesus also reminded us that it would be better to have a millstone put around your neck and be cast into the sea than to be found by Father for doing harm to the little ones. And there needs to be an understanding in this and a very other understanding when people say, thou shalt not kill, that is not the Hebrew word, it is thou shalt not murder. And we do not negotiate with evil. Now the problem we have is discerning what's before us in this battlefield because for a long time, we look at our neighbors as liberals and we go, oh, they're evil, when they're just misguided and misled. That's the love our neighbor part. But when you have people that are implementing policy like they're doing here in Oregon, intentionally down building a law that says you as a parent, if you deny your child's right to choose a, a different gender, your child will be taken away and you will be given a criminal penalty. And they have mobile clinics now being built to drive around these communities and rural communities to provide local abortions and transgender surgeries. Let me tell you, this is absolute war. Understand that. And if you're not willing to stand on that line to protect children, I, I'm just going to tell you, the message you're going to get here probably won't be comfortable for you. But let's go back to the open carry. We have taken an idea of the right to bear arms in a well-armed militia, and we've reduced it now thanks to a very well-engineered narrative craft, which has been done by the elites that are supposed to be working for you. And we've channeled that discussion into two primary bins. One is, can you own an AR-15? And the other is, I need to get concealed carry. An interesting conversation happened with somebody that I met today who knew has been a channel watcher, and I'm very blessed that they shared this. And they talked to the local chief of police, and they said, what's your thought on open carry? And they shared this with me. And the chief of police says, well, open carry is legal in Oregon. He says, but I'd recommend, close, I'd recommend concealed carry. And so she asked him why. And he said, well, here's the deal. He says, unfortunately, police officers aren't well educated and they don't really know the law. So if you walk into a store and they see you open carry, someone could call and say that you have a gun and we would come out and see you and you have a gun. And then they, would, they could charge you for creating anxiety and fear within a, popular, within a community. And she, she asked me an honest question. She said, what... What do you think, what would you do? And I said, the first thing I would do is call my attorney and sue the heck out of him for violation of the Oregon Constitution and violation of my rights. And then I would drag him through the mud as much as I could, including using the channel to do it. My point of this is, in the principal sense, what open carry represents and the fear people have around open carry, because I hear this as well. If I open carry, someone's going to grab my gun. Okay, why would I bring all this up in a, in a revival? Why would I talk about open carry? Because I love 2A. You know me better. I don't talk 2A very often. It's because open carry and concealed carry, as God has shown me, reflect how we are with our faith. So follow me. You see, 
We are trying, so many people are trying to get concealed carry. They want to conceal their gun underneath their shirt so that people won't know they're actually carrying. It makes life easy. It makes life comfortable. You can go into restaurants and no one questions you. No one looks at you oddly. You can walk around the world thinking that you're protected because underneath your shirt you have a gun. If you put 50 people in Home Depot and they all are concealed carry and the enemy crosses the threshold to come in and be an active shooter, he doesn't see 50 people with a gun. Someone's going to get shot before he gets neutralized, hopefully by somebody that's a concealed carry. But somebody's going to get shot if he goes crazy because he sees no resistance. Just like it is when we conceal carry our faith. And that's what we have done. Not only have we concealed carry our right to protect and defend, we concealed carry our faith. We don't want people to know I'm a, I'm a lover of Jesus. We hide it under our shirt. We walk around and we pretend that we can walk with Jesus in our heart and not bring it into the world. And then we look around and we go, this world has become so demonic. And then we start proclaiming Jesus. Yes, but I love Jesus. And the devil laughs at us and says, I know, but you didn't prevent me from coming in. And now I've got your children. How's it feel? We have been lulled into a concealed carry trap that is so dark and heavy on us. We're now looking around and spinning around going, what do we do? And suddenly we're like, okay, we need to arm with Jesus. You bet we better. And we better arm ourselves in public as well because here's the problem. If you are not willing to stand in the world and proclaim your rights, how is it you expect yourself to have the strength to stand in the spiritual realm and proclaim the, the responsibilities and authorities that Christ gave us? One reflects the other. And it's about being bold in the time that we live. So as I get, continue with the example, if you walk into a Home Depot and there's 50 people with a gun being exposed, 50 people open carrying, and the guy comes in to be an active shooter, I guarantee you, outside of him being a lunatic controlled by some 5G wave, I guarantee you that dude is turning around and walking out. He's like, this is not the store for me because someone's going to shoot me. And no one ever had to do anything and no one gets injured. But see, they don't want you to know that narrative. They want you to believe that you're. it's more important that you hide your weapon because you're likely to trigger some weak, spineless piece of junk's liberal instead of being bold with your right to protect and defend to stay off any future attack. And here's the thing. What's the greater act of love? Is the greater act of love hiding your, your protection or is the greater act of love being forthcoming even if it makes somebody uncomfortable? Because if we switch this to faith, people usually get this pretty quickly. If I say to somebody, I'm not going to share about my love of Jesus, but I, I'm going to pray for them, we haven't done them any service. But if I come out and I tell somebody about Jesus, my love of Christ, they might get pissed off at me. They might say, I don't want to hear anything from you except this. I've put a seed there. And at least in that moment in crisis, when they hit, they'll remember that and they'll go, oh, I remember that. That good dude brought his faith in Jesus into the world. He was open, carrying his love. And now I remember that. Just like will happen when that shooter comes in or whoever that 
dirtbag is that walks into our example of Home Depot and sees the 50 people and turns around and walks out. And anybody that sees it, he had a malintent and goes, wow, I was just saved because these people open carried. See, God's pretty wise. And he understands what he's given us in the physical. And he understands always how to weave those stories together with the spiritual. And I was blessed that he gave me this insight today. Humbled, in fact. And as I sat there and before I went up, Paul Kentrell spoke. And one of the beautiful things he did is he brought all the children up in front of the stage, all of them. And there was a lot of them there today. And you look at those innocent eyes and Paul got choked up. He was in tears talking about it because he has 10 children of his own. And they're beautiful. He's a beautiful family. And he says, look at these children. This is the future. And what I see is these are children that have no idea of the monsters that are lurking in the shadows. They have no idea what goes bump in the night. They're just trying to live and be happy. They're over in the bounce house. They're over getting face paint done. They're out having fun, tasting out some of the, some of the great little desserts that are around. They're having fun being children. And my question that's lurking in the back of my head is, are their parents strong enough to defend them with the Lord's word, with the power of Jesus, and even with open carry? Are they that strong to do that? Can they open carry their defense into the world of their children? And the answer is, I don't know. What I do know is the messages that we delivered today, a powerful message that we delivered today, in fact, all of us, collectively, all of us had a place in that walk. And it was a beautiful revival. Is that it was resonating with people at different levels. And it was giving them those tools and strengths and armor and weapons that they need to fight against this evil. But let, let's be real. This evil is not stopping. This evil isn't going to take a vacation. This evil isn't going, oh, goodness gracious, um, you said what? You said Jesus? Oops, okay, I won't bother you. No, this evil's going to go, you said Jesus, but do you believe it? And then they're going to hammer you. See, because this is like the open carry situation, right? Someone sees your gun. There's going to be some retard that's literally going to go, do you really mean it? There, has, there may come a point when you have to draw on somebody and they're going to have to look down the barrel of your gun and make a decision. And they're going to look at you and they're going to look at your eyes. And if they're smart, they're going to try to get a sense of things. They're going to try to convince themselves some or they're going to try to convince you that you don't really mean what, you, what you're threatening to do. But see, the way I always work is if that gun comes out of my holster, that means I have already made the decision that I'm going to pull the trigger. I don't play around with it. It doesn't become a party favor. It doesn't become an empty threat. If I've come to that point and it draws out of my holster, the hammer's back and I'm ready to pull the trigger. The only thing between the trigger and them is their actions next. We have to be that resolved both in our physical and our spiritual life. Because we are talking about defending and protecting everything God gave us. Everything. 
I did some interesting reading in preparation today, and I did something, I don't know how I missed it before, but it's really, really profound. And I changed the version of what I've been reading, and I changed it to Amplified. I did it for a particular reason, because if you know Amplified version of the Bible, it tends to have, it's a much more robust description of everything it said because it brings in many of the variations of the word so you get a very deep contextual understanding of what's said. So let me read Luke 10, 18 to 20. We typically read Luke 10, 19, but I want you to hear Luke 10, 18 to 20. It says, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. And then Jesus goes on and says this, listen carefully. I have given you that you now possess to tread the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, meaning Satan says so, and nothing will in any way harm you. That's much more profound even than what I normally read. We have everything within us to stop the, the attack of the enemy. And yet, we don't draw that sword. We don't look the enemy in the eye with the authority and the commitment of our heart that we would do at a range when plinking targets. We try to tell ourselves that we have that strength. I guarantee you, if you don't have the strength to do that against the enemy in the spiritual realm, you're not going to have the strength to do it if you have to ever draw for real in the physical realm. And here's the other thing. If you don't have the wisdom of how to employ that, you're not going to have the wisdom and temperance of how to employ a gun. So let's look at John. We read John 14, 12, but here's amplified. It's important. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this is all red letter language. Anyone believes Anyone who believes in me as Savior will also do the things I do. Pause there for a minute. Will do the things Jesus does. Look, this is going to shake some people up, but let's be clear what that is saying. This is red letter language. That means raise the dead. That means heal the sick. That means cast out demons. That means spread the good word. That means feed the masses with a few pieces of bread and fish. That means walk on water. Boy, I'll bet that one's going to stir some folks. And yet he says it right there. And he continues. And he will do even greater things than these in extent and outreach because I am going to the Father. And here's this. The second part of this is so important. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. As my representative, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. I'm reading this today and I'm asking myself, what has happened to us in this world? What has happened? How is it that we've gotten to a place where we're wringing our hands and we're saying, I don't know what to do, that the drug lords are coming in? Antifa owns the ground in Portland. The governor is now threatening to take away our children. 
You have to have the resolve of prayer and focus with the intensity of when you pull the trigger at the range and you hear ding on the steel downrange. Or you look at the bullseye and you see a head, a hole through the middle of the head on the target. That's the resolve you have to have with the Holy Spirit when you're speaking in and declaring your authorities. And you need to be that armed in this fight and that intense and that focused. Do you know that it takes approximately 2,000 repetitions to build a native muscle memory in an action. So if I, each day, I take, I draw my pistol 10 times a day, that's 300 times a month. And each one of those, I'm talking about a focus draw. I'm not talking about some sloppy, just go through it in the exercises. I'm talking about steady, focused, working towards absolute precision. Okay, that's do that 10 times a day. That's not that much. 10 of those high focused, that's probably going to take you twice as long as you, or three times as long as you think, but it will work. That's 30 times a month. I'm sorry, 300 times a month. So what we're saying here is in seven months, you will have developed doing 10 times a day a muscle memory that is so normal, so accurate, so good, that it becomes instinctive to you. So imagine, the, just take this question as one to ponder. If you are willing and able to do, to draw your gun from a holster, your pistol from a holster, 10 times a day in a precision practice, that doesn't mean you can dry fire, that's all we're talking Are you willing, able, or have you done declaring healing over someone 10 times a day for seven months? Have you declared casting out demons with somebody 10 times a day for seven months? Have you sought to raise the dead 10 times a day? Have you tried to walk on water 10 times a day? Have you tried to feed the masses with fish and bread 10 times a day? What's my point? Unless we are drilling like we drill with our firearms, we are never going to master the gifts and the talents given to us and the authorities that Christ gave us because it's just like we sit on the side and goes, yeah, but I can't get it. I can't hear Father God. Are you practicing 10 times a day for seven months trying to hear Father God? You know, I've talked to enough people now, and it's amazing. I don't tell them what I told you about the 2,000 times of repetition, and yet it always comes up. I just talked to another guy today. He was a healer. He's a prophetic. He went through this for almost 2,000 times, and he would literally do this. He would cold call people and say, I, I have a word for you, and he would call them. And, they would, and he said, I got so many of these, like, you have a really nice voice, but no, you're wrong. You're not even close. And yet he did it and did it and did it. And then all of a sudden, the heavens open, the skies open, and now he's like prophesying off the level and off the charts. We have to commit to this war at another level. This isn't stopping. Isn't it evident what they're doing? They're going after the children in force. They are setting up a situation where children down to age two now in these states. And if you think, like I said, that your state, because you're red, because your governor said this or that is immune to it, patriots, think again, all that's happening is they're setting the conditions on the West Coast to move it it from from west to east. Abbott 
maybe doing some fun things, and maybe you're a big DeSantis fan. Look under the covers. They're all WEF. They're all World Economic Forums people. And they're not pushing for policies. None of them are trying to stop the vax. None of them are outrightly stopping anything from this. I'm boldly going, if you're a transgender, you're out of our state. We have real issues here as a nation, and it's coming down to some very clear issues in, in what's causing it. It's our lack of working deep within Father and stepping into the authorities that Christ gave us. And you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again. If you're one of those that says, Jesus, takes, take me home, then I'm asking you a simple question. Why are you here? Because God put us here behind enemy lines. He's trusted us. And if you've come this far, trust me, you're part of a remnant that God needs and trusts him. But if you're doing the, I'm, Jesus, take me home, you're missing the point of your mission. Each one of us has been called. The question is, will you answer the call? And then I also reread Jeremiah 6.16, which I've read many times here, but this time I went a little bit further. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. We've been through this, where the good way is and then walk in it. So we're standing, we're asking, we're waiting for the Lord to show us, and then we're committing to walking in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Rest for our souls because we're literally walking within that, that beautiful umbrella of Father God in the ancient paths. But they, this is the split that we're in, but they said, we will not walk in it. Now, Jeremiah 6 17, I have set watchmen, in parentheses, prophets over you, saying, listen and pay attention to the warning sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Patriots, this is right where we are. A choice and a division that's happening before us by design to separate those, the wheat and the chaff. This is the threshing floor at a most amazing time. But it isn't just enough to say, I will walk in. And it's that you have to commit. You have to sit and look at God and say, Father God, where do you need me to go? And he says, point, go there. And then you have to step into it with the authorities given to you by Jesus. And in declaring those authorities and walking forward, you literally have to lean in and now declare these authorities as you are with the decisiveness and focus that you would have anytime and the seriousness of what it means to put a firearm on your hip and open carry into the world. And you better be open carrying your faith because the demons know when you're not. And this demonic world that's attacking us from every level, no doggone well when you're trying to hide under your comfort of your shirt and trying to not show the world your Jesus, thinking you can spring forward at the last minute and go, here I am, I have got Jesus. And they're going to look at you and go, yeah, right, brother, I won't touch you, but I've already got these 10 kids, they're mine, and they're going to hell with me. Because you all parents over here and you all adults over here didn't do a damn thing while I was working at them and convincing them that they were going to get a get a better life if they just agree to change their sex and walk away from their parents and love Lucifer. The children, the children. That's what this is all about. And our fight is to save them. 
And the question everyone has to ask every day, and I ask it every day, what do you believe in so much you are willing to sacrifice everything to defend? And I mean everything. And when you can answer that, and when you can know in your heart of hearts that you will, and you commit to being the open, caring person in what that means in all aspects of your life, to be bold, to be unabashed by those that attack you because you dare walk with your armament on and exposed for them to see. When you can step into that place and be that comfortable, not hiding behind or weaseling around things or not wanting to say what you are or believe, not willing to show your sword on your hip as you walk into the world to say, I am here. Because I said to God, send me, and he pointed, and this is where I'm at, and you take it or you leave it, and if you're uncomfortable, then leave. Because when the things really get down and shaken, and those that thought they were so comfortable within the sellout that they did to the creature rather than the creator. They're going to be looking of where to go. And you're going to have to go into the enemy camp, every one of us at one point or another. And it's going to look different for each one of us. But each one of us at the end of the day is going to have to be willing to step away from the places we find comfortable and go into the places that are most uncomfortable to face the enemy to use our weapons and with the authority that God gave us, Jesus himself gave them to us and to free those from in that, inside that encampment and bring them to set them free. That's what it's like to be in Jesus' army. That's what it's like to walk under the banner of Christ. That's what it's like to commit a heart truly to Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. And if you can't do that, I don't know what to tell you because... That's not how I see Jesus. I don't see him as some feckless hippie with a limp wrist that simply decided it was a cool deal to go get pinned on the cross so a bunch of us could have life and then dance around and party and not worry about the consequences of our life because that's not what I see in Scripture. What I see in Scripture from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. It is our precious prize. And this world is under siege. And God's gift to us is under siege. And the enemy isn't stopping. It's expanding its operations from fentanyl to transgender clinics to future vaxes that are already on the docket coming in waves. The question is, where are the watchers? Where is the army to encircle the children, to reinforce that which heaven will send, and to take the fight to the ground and to finally make a stand that's undeniable and such a stand that's so clear that we are literally going to do everything possible to defend that which we truly believe in? That's the question everybody has to answer. And in the end, we are all going to have to answer to heaven and God himself for what we decide in that question. 
You may be one that questions saying that I didn't want to be in this army. It wasn't what I wanted in my life. Got it. Check the box. Too bad. We were always put behind enemy lines. And now the mission becomes clear. The question again is, will you answer the call? Patriots, let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight very humbly, praying and clarifying much of what has been given. Sadly, Father, we live in a time of a pulpit that has become weak. Skinny jeans have become more important than messages of strength. Speaking to congregations too often that are more comfortable sitting in a pew being told how to think rather than seeking out the powerful relationship with you. There's many people that are just trying to get by. We hear that too. We are people that are wandering and searching. But Father, you have built a remnant that needs to hear this call. Because those that are searching or those that are being swept off to a path of weakness, they are not going to know how to get back to this powerful walking kingdom unless somebody shows them. So, Father, we pray tonight for those that have that spark, that righteousness in their heart, that love of Christ is so profound, that love towards you and kingdom and the request and the emboldening empowerment of the Holy Spirit to proclaim their authorities to literally step on snakes and scorpions and to proclaim their authority over all the deeds of the enemy and to embrace the fact that we can do all of what Jesus did because he told us we can, not because we're making this up, not because we're trying to create some sort of fiction, but because Jesus told us we can and because Jesus has reminded us that as long as we believe in him as a savior, we can do greater works than he. And Father, we don't even know what that means half the time. But I know this, for all to join in and choose to join this statement, I'm ready, Father. I'm here. Send me, and I will do as you're bidding, and I will move forward fearlessly as a representative of kingdom and you, Father. So, Father, Tonight, we pray for that amazing power and courage that is within the hearts of the many to awaken it with a firing rage, a rage of righteousness that's finally coming to realize that without these stance, we are not going to save this world. And yes, Father, I know I'm going to hear and hear again, well, you win, and we know you do. The question is, where will we be? The question we all need to ask. Will we be in the terms of in the in the terms of the past of Noah? Will we be in the flood or will we be on the boat? And that is going to be the question we all have to struggle with. Because you don't get on the boat if you're playing on the side. Time for us to commit, Father. We pray for that moment in all people's hearts, the encounter with Christ, the profound touching of the Holy Spirit to light these fires and to get people to stand up now to see truly what it means and to awaken all of us to a new level of righteousness in the hour that we now sit. 
Guide us in these hours, Father, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, patriots, we have a lot ahead of us that will be determined by how we choose to walk and whom we choose to serve. I have faith in us and greater faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus and through Christ to the Father. I know that those authorities that we are talking about, that I repeat over and over, Luke 1019 and John 1412. Those authorities we prove out every Friday, but we have to go further. We have to be bolder and we have to accept that at times we're going to do it and people are going to look at you cross-eyed and go, what are you doing? I'm just going to say, you know what? I'm doing as father leads and I'll do it again and again until something happens. Call me crazy. Call me a freak. But I read what it said, and I believe what Jesus said in red letter language, and I will chase it until my last breath on this earth. Because in the end, if I don't, who else will? Send me, Father. Send me. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. No joke now, patriots. We're at war. And the children are the target of that war. Time to rally. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue this enemy mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then, until or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
Out of my mind. 